0: Well, if you'd please find a copy of God's Word and turn to Romans, Romans chapter 6. I'll be doing a few Bible drills this morning. This is where we'll begin. Um, As you know, we're in the middle of a series on assurance. We've talked about the assurance of salvation and the assurance of forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. This morning we're looking at the assurance of victory over sin, that we can say no to sin, even though it seems hard and tough, and, and sometimes sin seems so powerful and we have no choice but to say yes. It turns out that if we're in Christ, that's just not true, that Jesus gives us help. Uh, next couple of weeks, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the victory, um, or excuse me, the assurance of um, answered prayer, and the assurance of guidance that we have from the Lord. And perhaps one more, I'm, I'm ruminating over let's uh, let's pray though and ask the lord to bless our time in his word lord we thank you for your word we thank you that it teaches us that you tell us that you you help us to say no to sin to walk away and that christ has broken the tyranny of sin in our lives lord i pray that you would help uh, use this time to help us especially if there are those here who are really struggling to have victory over sin that this might be the turning point in their lives pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, hear now the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been born, as have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever." We've all been there before, right? When we're facing temptation, we're squared off in the face, and it seems like it's a fight to the death. The temptation just seems so, so strong. We know that we aren't supposed to do X, or we know that we're supposed to do X, and yet it just seems like it's such a strong pull to disobey God and to do what we're not meant to do. I think a lot of times we view patterns of sin in our lives the the same way that we might view the the gravitational pull of the earth and the moon. The only reason that the moon circles our globe is because the gravitational pull, the, the earth controls where the moon is. And so often I think this is how we view our sin, that we are in its clutches and we cannot escape it. For the Christian, however, this is simply not true. It may feel that, time, it's that, feel that way at times. Indeed, sin is a powerful force, and, and our flesh is very strong within us. Even if we've been walking with the Lord forever, sin is still strong. But do you know that if we are in Christ, then sin no longer has dominion over us? And the only power that it has over us is that which we give it. As we've been talking about in this series, the Christian can have assurance of many of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And we've, we've talked about the assurance of salvation and forgiveness. And this morning we were reminded that we have the assurance that God gives us the ability and the power and the strength, not by our own strength, not by anything within us, but by what He has done on the cross and His presence, and especially the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And He enables us to say no to sin, to have victory over sin in our lives. I wonder if sometimes we believe that, though. Let us be reminded this morning of our new relationship to sin We've learned in this text in Romans 6 that there was at one point a time in which before we came to know Jesus, we were enslaved to sin, that we had no power to say no to it. That it had dominion, that it ruled over us. I think we see um, an example of this in Vegas What a couple weeks now or something very evil happened of someone who was enslaved to sin, could, say, could not say no to the evil desires within him and the temptations that came from the evil one, for whatever else went on there, it was a demonstration of the power and enslavement to sin that is true of us apart from Christ doing something, of breaking the bonds of sin for those whom he loves and for those whom, for whom he has died. Our relationship has changed now. Christ has defeated the power of sin in our lives. He did this on the cross. He dealt with our guilt on the cross. Yes, so important. That He would pay for our sins and the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. That when the, Savior, when the Father looks down upon us, He doesn't see our record, but He sees the record of Christ that has been imputed to us, given to our account. But He's done so much more than that. He has broken the bonds. He has broken the chains that used to, to characterize our lives. And where sin may seem strong now, we can say no to it because of what He has accomplished at the cross for us. Something has changed in our relationship to sin. We see this in verse 2. How shall we continue to live in sin? Paul answers, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Something that is dead has no power over us. You think about kudzu. Kudzu is a terrible thing, right? But what happens if you cut kudzu off at the bottom? And you've got to get all the runners and all the connections to the soil, which is really quite tough. But if you do that, what happens to the vine? What happens to all the stuff that is on the branches? It dies. Something that is awful, it dies. Now, there may be bits and pieces you have to pull off and deal with. There may be consequences that you have to deal with that are on the trees and on the bushes, but it is dead. It no longer has power so it is with the believer that the vines have, of sin in our lives, they've been cut. This is the logic of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My old self, the sinful self, the flesh, the part that that tempts me to to disobey God. It was crucified on the cross. And yet it still lives within me, doesn't it? You know this fight, the flesh and the spirit. The pull of the old life, the old self. The temptation feels quite fierce. We have to know that, that Christ has dealt it a mortal blow. And our relationship to sin has changed, and it no longer has power over us. It doesn't feel that way, though, does it? Let's be honest. In the moment of temptation, especially when we've given into whatever it is for you time and time again, and the more you give into it, the more power you give it, and the harder it is to say no. But what you experience in this life feels like one thing. But Christ has declared that that thing is dead to you. Christ has dealt with it. One of the greatest keys to having victory over our sin is knowing that this relationship has changed. It may feel like one thing, but the reality is something entirely different. When temptation feels so strong that you cannot say no to it, know that Satan is bluffing. He's hoping, he's hoping that you don't know that his schemes and his power have already been defeated. He'll tell you he's holding the royal flush, but it's not true. He has a trash hand. And the only power that sin has over you is the power that you give to it. How can we have victory over sin in our lives? How can we? By ourselves, we can't. But we can because Christ has already won the victory for us. And as such, the victory is already ours. We have it. Now may we experience it. Well, not only has God changed our relationship to sin and broken those bonds, there's something else that he does here. And if you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, we'll see that. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. And as you're, tell, as you're turning there, let me tell you that the next reason that we have victory over sin is that not only our relationship with sin has changed, but also the Lord has given us new hearts, and He's given us the Holy Spirit within us to cause us to obey the law. Now, we don't do it perfectly, and we won't do it perfectly until Christ comes again, either and He takes us home when He appears in the sky, or we die and we go be with Him. Then the fight will be over. But until then, the Spirit lives inside of us, and He gives us the strength to call, uh, causing us to obey His commandments. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There, there are a lot of things we can pull out here. I just want to make three general observations. The first is that verse 25 says that we've been cleansed from our sins... This, this has to happen first before our, the, um, the victory of sin that we've experienced can happen. Uh, Christ must first forgive us of our sins. And this is done for those who respond in faith to Christ Jesus, to those whom He has made born again. But here's the thing. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new hearts. You know, this is what uh, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3 in the night. When he was saying that he had to be born again, this is the new birth, regeneration. And this is what God does to our hearts. And actually, it's the first thing that he does in our hearts. He gives us new hearts, and he takes out the old ones that were disobeying him, and he gives us new hearts, hearts of flesh that will pump and, and beat after him with new rhythms. You know, it's amazing what they can do with uh, organ transplants now, isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. But, but I think the, the biggest one is the heart transplant, Right? It's amazing that you can take a a poisoned heart that that is making someone very sick and eventually leading to their death out of someone and put a new heart that will give them new life. Now here's the thing. In order for that to happen, unfortunately, someone had to die, right? I mean, we only have one heart. This is the only way that someone gets a new heart. This is exactly what happens to us in the new birth. That someone has died. That our Savior, the God-man Jesus, the incarnate deity, God dwelling in flesh, He has died on the cross for our sins, been raised from death, and because of that, we can have new hearts. He takes out the old heart of stone, which wanted nothing to do with God, that was enslaved to sin, and He gives us new hearts that beat after Him. He cleanses us from our unrighteousness. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new desires. The third thing is He gives us His Spirit. Isn't it amazing to know that the God of the universe dwells within us? That The God of the universe who made all things by the word of His power is a Trinitarian activity. We see in Genesis 1 that the Spirit is hovering over the deep. Is a Trinitarian activity, the creation of the world. And here is the God of the universe, the third person of the Trinity. And where does He reside? In my heart. And so when I see that sin that I want to do, when I see that thing that keeps haunting me, that thing from my past that, man, it just be nice one more time, I have the power to say no. Is it coming from me? No, it is coming from the new heart within me, the Spirit who resides in me. If He can make all things by the word of His power, then you better believe He can give me strength to say no to that thing right now. The Spirit lives within us, and the text tells us that He causes us to obey His commandments. This is the promise. This is the assurance of victory that we have as believers in Christ that if we turn to Him in that moment of temptation and seek Him, Lord, help me. He's not having to come from halfway around the world in 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 the temple. He's not having to like a, a false idol would be where He's over in the Middle East somewhere or in East Asia where there's a little statue of a false God. Our God lives, and He lives inside of me, and He lives inside of all of those who have turned to Him in faith and in salvation. Therefore, we can say no in the moment of temptation. It's not like taking a a, a, a AAA battery out of a a toy that's not working. It's like taking a a, a AAA battery out and putting in a nuclear reactor. That's the power that we have within us to say no. The last passage that we'll look at is, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 10.13, it's a a great verse. It's a great verse for for memory, for memorizing, especially in in times of of fierce temptation. And let's be honest, the life of a Christian is a life of fierce temptation. If we really don't think we have any struggles in this world, then we are blind to what's going on in our lives. The day-to-day life for a believer is a a life of, of fierce battle with the devil, with the world, and with the flesh. And the old Puritan line is, sin is either killing us or we're killing it. There's no no middle ground. There's no peace. There's no armistice. It's a daily fight. But in the midst of that fight, we have this great promise from God. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What amazing promises we have here. The first is that no struggle is unique. You know, one of the things that Satan wants you to believe is that no one else is struggling with that sin like you are. Or no one is struggling with sin like you are. Or no one has failed today like you have. This, this text tells us that there's no common that is unique to any one of us. All sins and all struggles and all temptations are common to man. Now, your neighbor, your spouse, your friend may not struggle with the exact same thing you do. But there's somebody else here regionally, locally, in this church, congregationally, that is struggling with the same thing you are. There's nothing unique to your struggle. It may look different from your neighbor's. But it has always afflicted God's people. And therefore, it's not a surprise to the Lord that you're struggling with it. And He can handle it. He can handle it. It also means... That when we find ourselves uh, facing and, and, and fighting things that perhaps the world says that's in a different category of sin, right? Ooh, real Christians, they, they might struggle with saying an occasional white lie, but really? That's what the world says. The Bible doesn't act like that. Uh, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is talking about the Corinthian believers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's bad news, because we can all find ourselves in that list. And such were some of you, he tells the Corinthians, that you were washed and you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power and the Spirit of our God. This list has what our our world and our culture says are some of the the really big sins, right? And yet Paul says, hey, such were some of you. Those who dealt with same-sex attraction, those who dealt with adultery, those who uh, dealt with uh, swindling others, such were some of you. But you've now been washed. You've been forgiven. Now here's the thing. Generally speaking, our fights with temptation will be over the same things for our entire lives. I hate to to break that to you. Generally speaking, we will struggle with the same things for our whole lives. Now sometimes God works uh, in other ways. Sometimes He takes that desire from us. He can do that. But generally speaking, if we deal with pride, it will be for all our lives. If If we deal with Greed and swindling, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a fight daily. And that means that these First Corinthian believers were still struggling with swindling and greed and gossip and adultery and same-sex attraction. These things were still temptations for them. And yet, he still says, these, this is how you used to be. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of our God. No no struggle is unique. There's nothing beyond God's help and His victory. He can give you victory today over those sins. Another good thing to know here is that God limits temptation. Praise Jesus for that. We think immediately of the story of Job here. When Satan came before God, and you remember God's the one that brought up Job, not the other way around. Have you considered my servant? Uh, And he let Satan go, and and, and to bring temptations and trials upon him. But do you remember that there were severe limits put to Satan's temptations? He could not first deal him physically, and then secondly, he couldn't kill him. So So the Lord puts limits on our temptations, And He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. God will be there with us, and there's nothing beyond the power of the Spirit within us to say no to in that moment. That's how God works. We don't have to live in fear that we will at some point get to something where we don't have power to say no to. Now, we need to be wise and not put ourselves in bad situations. But God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. Third, He will provide a way of escape. Isn't this an amazing promise? There will always be in a, way, a, 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 a way of escape in the, in the last moment in temptation. That means that we can never blame God. God, you put me in that situation where the only way out was a sin. It didn't work like that. God always gives us a way of escape. Sometimes that might mean death. But it means there's always a way out. It means there's always a way out. What are some practical ways to have victory in our lives over sin? I think the first is a daily rhythm of confession and repentance. I think we have to realize that it's just going to be a struggle here on out. It's going to be a struggle until Christ comes again. And we're going to fail, we're going to fall. And the Lord's there to forgive us and help us anew. There's a new day tomorrow. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the church castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, the very first one said this, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Every day, we start with repentance anew. We first must be willing to call sin. Sin. Um, Have you ever known this battle in your life when you're trying to justify your behavior? That might have been wise, but it wasn't sin. We we hem and we haul about if we're really going to call it sin or not. Because we know if we call it sin, we've got to stop. We know at least that academically, right? We must be serious about calling sin, sin. There are those uh, who would seek to change the definition of sin to make it easier for folks. they are actually doing a disservice rather than a service. We have to call sin, sin. What the Bible says is sin, is sin. and There's sin in my life, sin in your life. We have to call it sin. That is sin. We must, I think there's very helpful here, something that a guy named Patrick Curls has helped me think through in in some of his podcasts. He's teaching here November 12th, by the way. He's preaching, a fantastic preacher. He says, when we live a daily life of repentance, we first must identify the sin, understand the sin, and then renounce the sin. We first must identify it and say, that is sin. We have to call it what God calls it. The word confession in Greek, in one of its nuances, means to say the same thing as God, to call it the same thing that God does. We identify the sin, we understand its impact in our lives and others and how it works in our lives, and then we renounce it. We don't flirt with it. We don't toe the line with it. We renounce it. We turn from it. The second thing is to flee temptation and make no provision of, for sin. When I was four, uh, I fell out of a golf cart. Now, I fell out of a golf cart. It was my fault uh, because I wanted to see what the rear wheel looked like in motion. Okay? And so what's the only way that you can see the rear, rear wheel in motion? You get as close to the edge and then you lean over as far as you can to see what it looks like. Now, surprise, surprise, I ended up hitting my head on the concrete when we were going full throttle in the golf cart. Um, it was my fault, right? I shouldn't have been surprised. Now, when, we are in, when we're fighting with sin, oftentimes we think, you know, I wonder what that looks like. Let's get a little closer to it and then I'll lean over a little more and see what it looks like. And then the next thing we know, we've fallen out into the sin. Now, should we be surprised? But how often do we do that? We flirt with sin. We get as close to the edge as we can knowing that in the last minute, oh I'll say no, I'll stop. Um, we need to flee sin, to flee temptation, to make no provision for flesh. You know when Jesus said in, in Matthew five twenty-nine and 30, do you remember what he said if your hand calls you to stumble? You're supposed to just put it in a sling and baby it right. You're supposed to cut it off. When your eye causes you to stumble, you're just to get better glasses. No, it means to pluck it out. Now, please don't literally go pluck out your eyes and cut off your hands. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the philosophy of radical amputation that there may be radical things that we need to do in order to have victory over sin. We might have to get rid of cable at home. We might have to delete somebody's contact number out of our phone. We might have to change our telephone number. We might even have to move out of town. How much do we hate sin? And are we willing to go to the lengths to which we have to in order to say no to it? Christ took it so seriously that he died for our sin. That's how serious he took it. And now if we are going to have victory over it, we too must become radical in it. But it's important to know that we don't do this alone. Because we need the church. We can't fight sin alone. We need each other. We need folks to ask us, hey, how you doing with that? We need folks who have the ability in our lives to ask us any question at any time. I have those men. Uh, and sometimes it gets uncomfortable, right? I have one in, uh, uh, up in Pennsylvania, we keep up my phone, and one in, in um, uh, Birmingham and one in Montgomery. And they just have the ability to ask me any question at any time. Uh, we need those people. We need folks who will pray for us. Pray with and for us. We need the church. Do you have those accountability partners in your life? Do you have those, those people of the same gender? That's really important, I think, when you're talking about this kind of depth of thing, where you can just go say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. We can pray for me today? We have to have those people. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves a sobering question, do I really want to stop sinning in this specific way? Um, half measures really usually just betray a half heart. Uh, or we really don't want to stop doing something? If that's that's where you are, then then pray. The Lord would convict you and help you. Finally, um, we are called to hide the word of God in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love that. I have stored up your word in my heart that, so that, therefore, now I can no longer sin against you. This is how the Lord helps us. Do you remember how Jesus fought temptation in the wilderness? It, it was by quoting scripture he had memorized. And if the Son of God does that, perhaps it's a good strategy for us too. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that we will fall. Well, that's, that's not good news. We will fall. The good news is that Jesus is there for us. and He has paid the penalty for our sins that we have done in the past or doing now and will do. He's already paid for it. And therefore, we are freed to come to him and honestly seek his grace and his help. Lord, you know I messed up again. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. Help me to say no. He stands there ready to forgive you. I want to speak to those who don't know the Lord now. or Perhaps you don't know if you know the Lord. Jesus stands ready to forgive you of your sin and to give you victory over your sin. There's nothing that God cannot help you to say no to in your life. It may take a while. And it's going to take help. And the harder and deeper it is, the more help you'll need. And that's okay. That's what the church is here for. That's what we have resources for. I can point you in the directions of folks who going to help you. But first and foremost, there's something that has to change in our lives. And that's the power and the guilt of sin must be broken. And Christ came and did this for us freely. He did it as a gift. He didn't do it so that you could um, owe him for eternity. He didn't do it so that you could earn it from him. He did it to give to you today victory of your sin and freedom from the guilt of sin in your life. This he offers to, to all those today who would ask him to forgive him and to surrender their lives to him in faith, knowing that what he has done on the cross for you is good enough to save you from hell and spend eternity in heaven with him. For the believers here, we will fight this fight until Christ comes again or until we go to be with Him in heaven. You know, one of the things I think I really look forward to most about heaven is freedom from temptation. Freedom from temptation. Until that day, may the Lord strengthen us that we might have victory over sin. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We thank you that we have victory over sin because of what our Savior has done for us on the cross. Lord, until you come again or call us home, give us strength. Help us, Lord, to apply what has already happened in, in real time and space history 2,000 years ago. Lord, help us to live lives that glorify you, depending on your grace and your strength. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, 206, There is a Redeemer. turn and receive God's good word to you. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.